Welcome to Conlangery, the podcast about constructed languages and the people who create them. I'm George Corley, and that's all for today. We're just doing a solo thing. Uh, before I get started, I want to uh, give the announcement. The 7th Language Creation Conference will take place on the 22nd and 23rd of July, 2017, in Calgary, Alberta, Canada, at the University of Calgary. So um, go to conlang.org for more information on that. I just, um, the LCS uh, is, uh, I noticed the LCS was pushing out a lot of announcements about that, and I thought I would give a reminder. I think they may still be accepting proposals for uh, presentations, uh, if you're inclined to do that, um, although um, that d- that is coming up quickly, uh, uh, you won't be able to be doing that for long because they want to be prepared and get the schedule ready. Uh, so that out of the way, uh, I am going to do something a little different today. I have no guest; it's just me. And I thought I'd talk a little bit about my own conlang. We don't do much talking about our own languages here. Uh, we prefer to feature languages from the community or from, you know, conlanging, conlanging history, from, you know, various properties and such. But today I thought I would give an overview of my progress that I'm making on the language I've been working on for a while, Middle Pahran. Uh, and particularly in documentation, I'm in the process of writing. Uh, so start out a little bit of background on Middle Pahran. This is an a priori art lang set in a fantasy world that I am starting the process of building. Uh, this is the same fantasy world where my previous language, Ayuruyo, is set, but Middle Pahran is the first human language I have created for that world. Um, Ayuruyo being the base for the magical languages for some spirits in the world. So, Middle Pahran is called Middle for now because it is meant to be a base for a family of languages set in uh, the southern region of the continent I'm working on in a subtropical or to tropical region. And Old Pahran would be just the sketch proto-lang, which uh, gives rise to Middle Pahran. And and that proto-lang is just enough phonology and some vague notions of morphology to generate some basic forms that I then apply sound changes to to get to Middle Pahran, which I will later further split into a number of languages spoken throughout the territory of Pahra. Uh, I may also have some splits directly from Old Pahran in a few isolated regions, but um, that will be a project I'll do later as I flesh everything out. Uh, I want to focus on descendants on of uh, well. I want to focus on Middle Pahran and other languages that are spoken around the same time, and then daughters of those languages. So, my initial process for Middle Pahran was very different from what I'm used to. Previously, I have done a lot of grammar work on my conlangs and less lexicon, 
But for Middle Pahran, I decided to start with a lexicon focus. Uh, it came largely, I think, uh, from inspiration of uh, hearing, um, I believe, uh, David Peterson talked on this show a lot about uh, putting your lexicon first, and I decided to try that. Um, so a couple years ago, while visiting China with my wife, uh, I went through a period of adding about 10 words to the dictionary every day. Uh, I slowed down after about a month of that, but I managed to build up a base that I can, can continually expand. Uh, there are currently 981 entries in my Middle Pahran Dictionary, covering 1,147 senses, um, that is, you know, within um, within an entry, you may have multiple senses for a word. That's that's what I'm talking about, and that corresponds to 1,422 English words in my reverse index. Um, I'm currently using Flex to manage my dictionary, which has a lot of handy features, which including, you know, the fact that I can easily count entries versus senses, and it has this um, reverse index that I'm building uh, that basically is the 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 English to Pahran side of the dictionary. And it also has features for defining grammatical information, listing etymologies, and managing everything. Though with lots of features comes a big learning curve. So be aware and also be aware that it's not made for conlangers. It's made for field workers. So uh, a lot of the the features, uh, you know, will be beneficial to conlangers. Not all of them are really things that we need to use. Um, I'm still building mostly incidentally now on the lexicon, just as I need a word. Uh, though I am trying to participate in Lexember every year now. It's the past couple of years I've, uh, like, sort of had to... I've always had to sort of disappear at the in, in the middle of the month, just because December, for an academic, uh, at least for a grad student, is a very, very busy time. And then uh, uh, in 2015, my daughter was born... That was a thing. This this last year, uh, when I went home, it was too chaotic for me to to uh, do things. Not that I didn't enjoy going home. I mean, it was not a, the environment to be be working on making words. So, you know, I try to do Lexember. I don't always get through it. Um, later, I fleshed out grammatical ideas I had in my head. And started getting them on paper, you know, first into um, OneNote. OneNote's a good way to organize notes and get everything sort of organized. And then, and also early on, I was building some grammar info into the template builder in Flex. Um, which, um, basically, it's uh, a tool for, you can, for all of your defined... Um, lexical classes, uh, word classes, you can, you know, make, you know, a verb template, a noun template. Uh, it's, you know, not always the way I would do morphology, but it works for middle Pahran 
particularly for verbs, it works pretty well. Then a few months ago, I started working on actually writing the grammar. So that's the main thing I'm doing right now. I'm writing it directly in LaTeX using um, Overleaf, which is an, like an online uh, cloud-based uh, LaTeX service. You you uh, you can uh, the, I, you can just load modules in without um, without uh, worrying too much, and uh, it's just a, a, a handy place to uh, do it. I can. I can view it from anywhere and everything. Um, and as of this recording, I have 33 pages written, but there's still significant work I need to do. Uh, so um, to, to, to talk about how I've been writing the grammar, uh, one thing I decided to do with the grammar in terms of the order I'm writing it in is... Not to start with phonology. Phonology is still going to be like the first grammar section, you know, they'll be uh, introductory and background, um, you know, histor- historical geographic background and phonology and, you know, just like a regular grammar. But in the writing, I decided to start with a morpho- morphosyntactic feature that I'm that happens to tie a lot of things together. And that feature for middle Pahran is the system of inflecting prepositions. Uh, so there are two classes of inflecting prepositions in middle Pahran. Class one is derived from older verb forms and shares some inflectional morphology with stated verbs. While class two prepositions are related to an alienable possession on nouns. So Two, these two classes both agree with gender. Class one agrees with gender and number, and uh, class two agrees with gender. I won't get into the details on that. The 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 agreement paradigm of of course is different because the there's one that's based on how state of verbs do agreement, and the other is based on uh, how. Um, possessed nouns agree with their possessor so and those are totally different in the language so the uh, the class one prepositions will are also going to be stuck onto verbs as applicatives i haven't written that section yet um i've started on working on the verb section but i haven't started that uh yet um and uh so inflecting prepositions are sort of this major theme in middle Pahran tying together a lot of different parts of the grammar. Um, at the moment I have a section de- detailing all of the class one prepositions and their usage. Cause it's a, a small closed class. Uh, so I just like listed all of them out with really extensive going through all kinds of different uses though I'm debating whether to offload some of that information to the dictionary and then have a smaller section. So those prepositions will just have very large dictionary entries, um, which they're pro- they're going to have anyway if I'm going to be thorough about documenting them in the dictionary. So I'm questioning now whether I need the, all the information I have in the grammar in the grammar. It ha- but it has allowed me to collect my ideas there and actually like 
uh, look back at my test sentences. And um, one thing I did before I did any documentation at all is I actually went through the um, Conlang syntax test sentences, uh, the what's the 218 sentences, and translated all of those. So this is a major source of my examples for now. I'm, I, I make up some examples as I need them, but um, it gives me, you know, sometimes I'm able to, uh, a lot of the time I'm able to, you know, find what I need for a particular usage by searching through my translations and seeing, okay, how did I use this? What In what situations did I feel I needed to use this particular uh, feature or this particular preposition. It was very helpful with prepositions. Um, So, going on. After working out prepositions, I try to continue morphosyntax with sections on nouns and verbs, but I realized at that point I really needed to step back and codify all my phonological rules to explain of the, a lot of the inflectional characteristics of those. So I took some time to list out my phonological processes and then return to nouns and verbs after that. Um, I still feel I need to go back and work on the phonological processes, how they're being presented, but um, I definitely needed to have a feeling for like how those are going to be described and how I can refer back to them because, um, you know, that it wasn't so much important for my prepositions because the, uh, the class one prepositions are a small class. I don't really need to tell people why certain forms are the way they are. It's just, you know, I give all the forms for each one and then, uh, I didn't, really go into the the class two that much you know you'll you will see that vowel harmony applies to them but that's about it whereas um when i do nouns obviously and verbs obviously those are open classes and they also have you know verbs have some stem changes that come from some of my sound changes that are also sort of phonological processes too so I really had to to have those nailed down before I wrote up the nouns and the verbs. So none of those sections are really complete yet, but I'm currently working hard on preposition on the presentation of verbal aspects. I think I've actually now completed like the first draft of all that of of the verbal aspects, but I need to look through that and uh, maybe add some more examples in some places. And uh, um, my iterative uh, aspect, I need to figure out like where I'm going to put that because it works differently from the, the other, the, the tense and mood morphology suffix, the the tense and mood suffixes. It's, it's uh, a bit weird. Not weird, but a bit different. So I need to uh, find a a different place to put things. So one discovery I did make uh, in the process of writing out my phonological processes, though, is that I can find minimal pairs for my back unrounded vowels, 
which only occur because of vowel harmony. Uh, so they're the result of vowel harmony. Um, and, but you have to fiddle with morphology to find, basically, it's a surface minimal pair, but actually this is because um, because of the way that... Um, it's all because of the way that the vowel harmony comes off from the stem and the way that uh, the vowel ah behaves because it's a transparent vowel which uh, will um, will do different things depending on what like what where those vowels are around it morphologically if it's in an affix uh, it'll do one thing if it's part of the stem it'll do another thing um, you can look at um, my examples. Uh, I think I will put that section up, uh, but, uh, you can find interesting things that happen. So, basically, given that, I have a little bit more justification for distinguishing all the vowels in my romanization. Because, hey, I can, I can find a weird way to get minimal pairs for back unrounded vowels. Uh, maybe if I work on it, I could find a weird way to get uh, minimal parish for my uh, front rounded vowels, but uh, I have not seen a way to do that yet. So, <laughs> um, not the you know that that's a, a bit of a uh, an interesting thing that you can discover things about the structure of your own conlang as you're building it. Uh, all in all, the progress is going to be slow since I am a grad student with a child and limited time to work, but the middle pattern project has been coming together. Uh, I will have to say, if you want a serious conlang and not, you know, a lot of people produce a lot of sketches that are just like sorting out some grammatic, grammatical ideas, that's cool. If you want to make a conlang that is like, fully fleshed out and usable, I think the lexicon first strategy is really good. You basically, just get some basic phonology and morphology down, and then just generate roots until you, you hit a target. Uh, you know, um, you can generate, just generate roots uh, themselves, or like I did, I have a proto-language, I generated roots in the proto-language, and did sound changes in order to get to the the, the language I'm working on, um, and you know set a target maybe about 500 words to start with. Um, that you know that will take that will take you some time to get done, but you know at the end uh, and that 500 words that first 500 words just focus on root words like. Um, you know, if you, you know, you know, bare root forms or, or, or if you don't have bare root forms, just like the root of the, of the noun or verb or whatever. Um, and then you can get into more morphologically complex things later. Uh, and at that point, you'll also be able to start using test sentences, which will help you work out what your grammar is going to be. Uh, you can have an idea of what your grammar is going to look like, but, you know, you've got to test it. Um, 
The documentation for Middlepahren, of course, is a work in progress, but I'm going to include drafts of some of the more complete portions for y'all to look at. And I, I, I'd like people to let me know if this kind of progress, if they'd like this kind of progress update in the future. It's not going to be like that often. Uh, I mean, um, unless, uh, unless I can, I can do it like outside of, you know, the, the monthly episodes, but otherwise, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, uh, bore you with this stuff all the time, but, um, you know, if you want to hear more of them, I can, I can, uh, arrange to do that. Um, so I'm going to continue working on conlangs as I have time, as I'm sure everybody out there is doing. Okay, so before I leave, I just want to do one thing. I want to give out a shout out to Margaret Ransdell Green, uh, who is the newest uh, $20 patron on Patreon. Uh, if you if you pledge twenty dollars a month, then you get um, then then you you get a shout out on the show. By the way, so uh, uh, Patreon.com/slash/conlangry. If you're interested in supporting the show and uh, and getting uh, and uh, su- supporting me doing the show, um, but uh, thank you to Margaret for. Legging $20. And uh, until next time, happy conlanging. Thank you for listening to Conlangery. You can find our archives and show notes at conlangery.com. You can support the show on Patreon at patreon.com slash conlangery. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Google Plus, and on Tumblr now. All of those you just find conlangery. Our web space is provided by the Language Creation Society. Our theme music is by Null Device. And our new site was designed by Bianca Richards.